Hi, and welcome to Mousebirds, your family vacation planning experts. Mousebirds is brought to you by the Tomorrowland Travel Authority Vacations Travel Agency. TTA Vacations specializes in helping you plan your Disney, Universal, and Cruise Line vacations. To take advantage of our free planning services, contact us at ttavacations at gmail.com. Our show hosts are your agents, so contact us to have us help plan your dream family vacation today. Hi, welcome back to this episode of Mousebirds. This is part two of our series where Laurel and I cover our recent Royal Caribbean cruise. So please join Laurel, Rachel, and I as we jump into part two. If you want to check out part one, check out episode 22 of our podcast. But here we go, talking about our port adventures. So let's talk about our ports. Uh, obviously, our first port we said was Boston, which being from the Boston suburbs, we just used as a sea day. Next day was Portland, which, once again, it's only about an hour and a half from us, so we didn't feel like doing an excursion or anything big there. But and we, we excursions did... with four-year-olds are also very difficult. Yeah, that's true. Um, but we did find a, a local children's museum. So we the first place we went to, well, we got a cab right off of the boat, and then we went to the children's museum. I think it's the Children's Museum and Theater of Maine. It was a great little kids' museum. Uh, I think when and they have the same type of exhibits. Everything does the water room, the air playroom, the air where you get to pretend to be. Yeah. Uh, like a fire truck. Oh like yeah, like the pretend playroom. There was um, an art exhibit. Yep. But what, there was also a playground, which was really great because yeah. Andy really needs playgrounds. You know, I mean, a, most kids. A great do. climbing wall. Yes, that climbing wall was super cool. Uh, well, it is for small kids. What set this one great. apart was there was a marine habitat because it's Maine, it's Portland. There was a coastal marine habitat where Andy like walked around the room for a while looking at everything. And every time a new kid would come in, because she would run over and go, look, a starfish. Yeah, look, she, a starfish. She, like, wanted to introduce every new kid to the animals that she learned about in this room. But then as we were, we were actually kind of getting ready to go a little bit, and then somebody came up to us, hey, we're about to start the petting area, and you were going to open up, and you could pet the starfish and stuff like that. And they, ta- and they taught the kids about what how the starfish's arms are for. And so you could put your hand in, and you could it was a touch pool. You could touch the starfish, and they taught the kids how to do it gently and not manhandle, even though one girl grabbed a starfish. She was probably three, grabbed a starfish and started walking around the room with it. But it was okay. The starfish was preserved, and everyone was I, 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 <laughs> I, I got the kid's mom to come take the starfish away because I noticed it first. Uh, I touched a sea anemone for the first time, which was kind of cool. <laughs> uh, they had a little, a couple baby sharks. They didn't open that area because there was actually a egg. Yes, that's right. They had, they had mermaids purse there that was waiting to happen. Um, so that was really cool. Andy liked that. Then she started getting a little tired. So we walked over to next to it. There was the International Cryptozoology Museum. Super cool. Very weird. Very <laughs> It's niche. a very kitschy, kitschy museum. I had heard about it on another podcast years ago, and I'd been wanting to go. And this was something we knew we would only spend about a half hour to an hour in. So we walked over. It was literally right next door. We thought we were going to have to take another cab because we did take a cab over to this. Uh, and it was it took a it wasn't like saying all these things are real. It's like, well, here's the evidence. And, and, he, and these are the researchers who researched and their backstories. And, and here's the thing, like, here's the folklore behind these things from the native peoples of all these lands. And 
you know what, here are some stuff that we thought were cryptids, like the coelacanth and the pandas that came out to be real. So if those were real and we didn't discover them until 50, 60 years ago or 100 years ago, how do we know these things don't exist? And it was that kind of presentation right. of things. And it was very cool. And it's like, you know, there are there are all these different sea monsters and lake monsters. Uh, but here's one we know somebody called in a lake monster in Maine. It ended up being a, somebody let a 20-foot anaconda in the into the lake. And we came out and they found the anaconda. And they had the skin from that yeah. they found shedded. They had an entire section that was all really to Bigfoot, Yeti, like all of that stuff, too. That and, was really great. And also told about how all these things would inspire movies and stuff like that. And so it was a very cool museum. I mean, it was only 10 bucks again. It was worth that. Yeah, and Andy slept the whole time. That was her nap time. <laughs> then we went back to the ship on that night and, you know, for dinner. Next day was uh, Bar Harbor. We happened to have some friends who were visiting in town doing a vacation at Acadia National Park in Bar Harbor. Uh, we didn't want to do another excursion here because one of the Acadia excursions we thought were a little expensive for a place we could still drive to than do an overnight day at like plus with Andy and her age it's just it was too un, she's too unpredictable for us to invest in an excursion when we just weren't sure how much she was gonna really be able to do it you know right so we got off we met our friends we walked around town for a little bit I uh, we had watched some like food tour videos and stuff we wanted and think and like what to do in town so we went to this place uh, called Stadium, got a great cup of coffee, and a popover. Popover was okay, but what was really great is they gave you a locally made maple butter and a locally made blueberry jam to put on, which were amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we walked out, did a little bit of shopping, went to a famous candy store that's yes. like 100 years old, ben, and, yeah, Bill Andy, and ben and Bill's or something like that. Yeah, Andy picked out her standard, the fruit slices they had. But the but, fudge but and the saltwater taffy are what they're known yeah, for. Yeah, I should say they had the widest variety of flavors of fruit slices that I've ever seen. <laughs> so Andy got an assortment box because, of course, she wanted the big box. Big surprise. Um, and she had like, there were like 15 flavors in there. I was like, that's crazy. Then we walked over to, there's an island in Bar Harbor called Bar Island Mm -hmm. that is only accessible during low tide for about three hours, twice a day. Uh, the sandbar just kind of appears and you walk over. Uh, so we walked out on the sandbar with our friends and the kids played and looked at all the stuff and like tidal pools and things like that. Yeah, The the girls were making rock and sand castles and like pulling, pulling together piles of seashells and, and everybody wanted to leave around a little after lunchtime. So we didn't go out to the full island. We just stayed in there. Yeah. The funny thing about being on the sandbar is like when you're in the sandbar, it's almost like you're inside a little cove, like surrounded by. Uh, one side is, you know, where they have like all the major hotels like that are like right there on the water. And then the other side is this the island like surrounded by trees. Well, literally behind the island, which we, you know, you can't see from the sea bar is our boat. So we can hear all of the announcements happening on our boat while we were standing on the sea bar. On the um, sandbar. It was hilarious. So we did that. We went to lunch at a local place called like the Two Cats, which was another place that was recommended on a couple of videos. Yeah, that was super cute. It was a little breakfast place. So we had a breakfast for lunch. Really good. Maine blueberry pancakes. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. And uh, I walked around town, did a little bit of souvenir shopping. Our friends 
had to get back on the road by like one o'clock or two o'clock. So we went back on the boat. This was a tender port, which means you have to take a smaller boat from the cruise ship because there's no dock deep enough for it to pull into. Now, we've done tender boats before in Cabo on a very rough sea day, and they were small tender boats. It was a horrible experience. It was almost traumatic, to be honest. This was a completely different thing. These were 400-person whale-watching boats. They got on easily, nice, calm harbor. I mean, they were rolling people, like, wheelchairs and ECDs on, like, like super easy. I mean, no, there was no real drama in any way, shape, or form with these boats. Getting on it, getting <laughs> back to the boat, what happened, there, the boat that they were loading right ahead of us as it's about to pull out and ours is about to come in to pick us up, has a bit of a problem as they're pulling. They threw the line into the water, or they missed the line when they threw it off the boat. It got pulled into one of the intake valves, I think they said. And that means and the it, ship shut had, the engine. it shut the engine down. So they unloaded all the guests on that boat onto the one that just came in that was going to take us. And then they had to back it out slowly to another dock to just assess the engine and like do a complete reboot of the system. Because as this took about an hour for them to do all this and for our boat to come in and load. So during this whole process, like we've seen them, they've started the other boat. Now we still have plenty of time. Yeah, it was about two o'clock. It was about two, two, two o'clock when we got in line. We got yeah. on the boat around two forty-five. No, we got we we got on the boat about two forty-five on the on, uh, the, on tender. the tender boat. Yeah, and you can see there. I was standing next to a bunch of crew members who had a three o'clock curfew to get back on the ship. Yeah, I felt bad for the crew. They members. were. Yeah. I know they're not going to get in trouble, but you know they were a little nervous about that. Um, we finally got on about back disembarked back onto the boat about three o'clock or three thirty. So it was probably about an hour of wasted time because of this whole problem, but we didn't miss anything. Andy was should have napped at this point, but yeah, she she definitely had reached the loopy stage like before he needed a nap. <laughs> um, like as we were literally trying to get off this tender boat, so it was like you know it was fine. But she she took a nap as soon as we got back on the boat. But Bar Harbor was one of the most gorgeous places yeah. I've ever seen up until this point. And we come from a coastal New England town, so we didn't think it was going to be – thought it was going to be a little more it, idealistic and small it, town it, than Salem. It, it feels very – like when you envision Maine and the Maine coastal region, like it is – that is like quintessential like, Maine. We had all visit. we just visited Kenny Bunport with you, what, a few weeks ago. Yeah. Imagine that, but actually like more picturesque. the harbor today. Yeah. Like if it was more of yeah. a full resort town rather than a, you know, we're a place where a few rich people yeah. have their mansions kind of town. One of these days we really do want to do like a long weekend and do like the drives and the bus tours that go around Acadia National Park. Like I think it would be, yeah. it'd be a fun experience. Uh, I would definitely want to do it with a car rather than on a bus tour because there were buses that we could have taken to get there. Uh, we also learned that they have those little electric vehicles you could have rented. Mm-hmm. And if I went back, that's probably what, if I had known that, that's probably what we would have done. If we didn't have friends in town, honestly, we probably, I would rent one of those and go into Acadia myself. Yeah. Because it drops off right in front of the port. Uh, we had enough time to do it that day. We had a good eight hours in port. But it was nice to have a relaxing day. We could sort of go visit the shops. We got We actually got a meal, you know, things like that. 
as opposed to like being so excursion. And the town itself was very walkable. Yes, very walkable. Um, next day was Halifax, which is a big city, a fairly big city. Yeah, we about, loved- you know half a million to a million people in the greater area. They said because yeah. we booked a hop on hop off tour on our own because um, the one the, the the ship had the same thing, uh, but it was sold out. Uh, really cost the same. I think in the end yeah. of the day is like they charge 50 American on the ship. I paid 50 Canadian or whatever. With I it. think there was like a difference in the charge and what they were going to be charging us for Andy for like a children. Yeah. Charge. That was a bit of a difference. I, I think the people we bought from got a little confused and we ended up paying full price for Andy, which we probably shouldn't have, but whatever, not a big deal. Uh, one thing I will say is if you do the hop on hop or hop off tour, we did the, the gray line, I think it was the pink bus they called it, even they weren't all pink. They're old double deckers from London style mm-hmm. kind of buses you get on for these tours. Uh, I recommend it, but if I recommend doing it, it's you book the gray line. When you print up your tickets and exchange them in the port, inside the port area, because when you get off the boat in Halifax, uh, I should say ship because people will complain if I say boat with the. <laughs> And you get off the ship in Halifax, you go into like this market, an indoor market kind of place. Right. It's like a, it's like a warehouse with a bunch of like booths of people selling local wares and stuff like that. But go to change your tickets inside there because we did that. It was uh, way faster. It was way faster because we went outside to board the bus and we get in this line that's probably a couple hundred people long. And then someone comes by and says, if you already have your hop on, hop off sticker, if you've already exchanged your tickets, bypass the line and go to the thing. This whole line was for people who booked the excursion through the ship or booked it on their own or buying it at that point. Yeah. And had an exchange inside. I had a little bit of a line inside, but it was like three people, not this giant thing. So we got on the thing or got on the bus. Uh we went to the Maritime Museum. That was the main one that we knew we wanted to go to. About a half Titanic, half other kind of maritime like, yeah, history. Yeah, like local museum. maritime history. And then they also go through um, the White Star Line history, and they go through the hist- a little bit of history of the Halifax explosion. But what's great about this museum, obviously there's a lot of the Titanic stuff, clearly. like it's, That's kind of a big part of why people would want to go here. But was also great is it's connected to the boardwalk, so you can literally walk out to onto the boardwalk there, which is this you know beautiful picturesque area to sort of shop and peruse. But it, they also had a playground in the back, which again, when you have a four year old, <laughs> finding a playground is gold. Um, so you know, she beaver, really needed it. <laughs> you got some beaver tails, which are basically yeah. a Canadian version of like a fried dough. Yeah, like a fried we got dough. it covered in maple syrup and maple sugar. Delicious. Just a, a really amazing extra napkins needed. Um, but one of the things I, I want to explain why Halifax has the Titanic stuff is the White Star Lines, I think North American offices were located in Halifax. So when they found out the boat sank, all the recovery ships, yes. they couldn't be a rescue at this point, yes. were sent out from Halifax. So the recovery process wasn't just for, you know, retrieving the deceased. Um, it was also for dealing with any property that had sort of floated to the surface, uh, any trash, any kind of debris, types of debris that had to be managed and dealt with. So, you know, it was a long process and the, and the his, and what's interesting about it is just how it changed 
the way that not just the white star line dealt with this sort of stuff, but like at, holistically as a industry, how they dealt with these kinds of, these kinds of things. So like 20 to 25% of the uh, people who died on the boat, the bodies were recovered and brought through Halifax. Yes. So our final stop on the store, we had another one in between was the Fairview cemetery where there were about 130 of the passengers who could not be either right, the time the could not be identified yeah. or the family would not pay to have the bodies repatriated, couldn't, couldn't right. afford to have the bodies yeah. repatriated or they were the emigrating ones. Right. Who, Many of the graves have been identified now after several years. There, there is an organization that has heavily been focused on identifying these um, these uh, passengers. Very few of them are unidentified. Yes, now. there's uh, just a handful still that are unidentified. Um, and they just recently identified in the last, like the last few years or like the last 10 years or something, the, the uh, unknown child grave had, had finally been uh, verified. So it's a beautiful memorial with these headstones. They were all supposed to be the same at first, but then, you know, as people got identified, people would pay and upgrade right. the headstones. They're not anything outlandish. They all still fit in. They all curve into a bow shape of a boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the final stop on our hop-off, hop, hop on, hop-off tour, where we went after the museum was we got off at the Victorian Gardens, the house. Uh, yes, walk through there. That was a beautiful garden. It's one of they said it's the only one of two Victorian gardens in Canada. Yeah, the other is out in on Vancouver Island mm-hmm. in British Columbia. Um, Andy enjoyed the the garden a lot, um, but we really used it as a pass through, frankly, because we were going to the. Museum of Natural uh, the, History. Yes, the Museum of Natural History. And so we kind of had to walk through the garden to get there, which kind of was nice. Which the Museum of Natural History was about a bunch of the Canadian coastal, like, you know, they had all this stuffed animals, like animals that were the stuffed. The taxidermy, yeah. Taxidermy animals that um, like. A lot of but, that, a lot of the animal history, obviously, but there was also some tribal related history, uh, different native people's history. There was also some history, geological history, and Sable some, Island, a whole thing on Sable Island, which is an island yep. off the coast that has a lot of shipwrecks and a lot of, it's isolated, so it has a lot of species that live there and a lot of, yeah. like, seals and dolphins and like whales would yeah. be in that area. So there's there, a lot of that. There were also a few different art related exhibits. Like there was one all about the body, which Andy, if you don't know, you if you knew our child, you would know she's obsessed with the human body and x-rays and things like that. So she pretty much wanted to hang out in there. <laughs> Just and it was all like that. local Canadian artists who would like, I knitted a heart. I yes. Knitted. Oh yeah. That the crafted item, the handcrafted items of the body parts were like fascinating. Like, uh, I think like Chihuly style glass blown white and red blood cells. Were yes. There. Yes. So she really enjoyed that. And then the star of this museum is <laughs> yes. Gus, the 101 year old gopher tortoise, uh, the oldest gopher tortoise in the yes. world, born in Florida in captivity. So they know exactly mm-hmm. how old he was. Right. Yep. He was. He's been in Halifax. He's, they said since, he's like the city's mascot. I since think, he's been there eighty years. Yeah, now. he's been there since he was twenty. So, like during the war. Yeah, like, yeah. They've done. They've gone through pretty extreme lengths to protect and to, and care for this animal. Um, but yes, uh, he was a wonderful experience uh, for all of us. Everybody who was there. We weren't allowed to pet him or anybody. Yeah, was, nobody can touch him now. But when they took him out for his walk, he would walk up and like, look at you like you wanted food from you. Yeah, 
Yeah, he um, does go out um, during the warmer months. He goes out into the back of the um, property to sort of graze on some grass. If it's more than about 60, 65 Fahrenheit, so he said about 20 Celsius. Yeah, but it was it was really cool nonetheless, and Andy had a blast. Uh, and from there, we went on the right. We took the bus around a few more stops. We went through some, like you told us about the explosion, the yes. house explosion. We went by the old Citadel, which is the fort that the city was built. Yes. Around. If we had had more time, we would have done the Citadel fort. We would have gotten off and checked it out. We just, you know, the way that our port's timing was. We, it was a late day. We got yes, 10, 11. Yes. And then we had to. I Our mean, the bu- the buses were done for the for the like, bus loop of about five. So no matter what, like you sort of had to plan for that. Right. We weren't. We didn't have to be back on the boat till like seven thirty. But like all the museums, everything closed around five o'clock, so we didn't have the time. So we drove past the Citadel, drove through some of the neighborhoods. They showed us some like filming locations for like a, t- a Canadian TV series that just got imported to the U.S. Mm-hmm. I forget what it's called, but like. Half of them take place at this de- – like, half the scenes take place at this deli, and half of them take place at this bar that are across the street from each other. Um, and then we went to the cemetery and then just back to the boat, uh, back to the cruise ship. Uh, and that was our Halifax day. Yeah. Next day was Day at Sea, and then our third day was uh, St. John, uh, New Brunswick, not – Newfoundland, because we accidentally like looked up some stuff to do for St. John, Newfoundland, um, which is about a 20-hour drive away. Not that far mile-wise, but you have to go like on islands and back roads yeah, to get yeah. there between them. Well, it's Newfoundland. They're kind of isolated. Right. But, but yeah, so St. John. Um, we didn't separate. Do you want to talk days. about your excursion? Yeah, I had an excursion, so I had to be down at 930. Uh, it was a coastal photography tour. I thought we get we came in at high tide. You have to come in at high tides because it's on the Bay of Fundy, which has the highest tides in the world. Range anywhere from eighteen to twenty feet in some of the smaller tide areas to fifty feet if you go all the way into the bay to like St. Martin's and stuff like that. I thought the tour was going to go and like let us walk around the seafloor and see all these things during, but we can't do that because yeah. you have to come in at high tide. And it was a morning excursion. If there was one in the afternoon, I probably we would have gone and done the low tide stuff. But they took us to a uh, cliff area with a lighthouse. The most gorgeous scenery I've ever seen in my life. These coastal, like two hundred foot cliffs, completely pristine, except for this lighthouse there and some walking paths, completely untouched. And it's only twenty minutes outside the heart of St. John, which is a very industrial. Port City, where it's there's all kinds of refineries and paper mills. It's where twenty percent of the North America's oil goes through. Um, but you know what? They also very green. You don't smell any of the refineries yeah. or anything like. You they, would never know that it was an a high manufacturing, high industrial town city, just because of the work that they've done to make it so green and and to ensure that yeah. it's clean. Um, the next stop was a little beach uh, where there's a river that was about 30, 40 feet wide, but during low tide, you can step across it. Uh, and because the tides, they bring in really cool, like, real cool, like, you know, trees, uh, like branches and rocks and all that get brought up. So it was a 
very cool place. And we had a photography expert. Uh, she was a portrait photographer, mostly weddings. So teaching us how to use our camera on different settings and how to frame shots. And that was what they were telling us, besides the history of the town as we're driving around. Uh, New Brunswick invented the fog, or uh, St. John invented the foghorn, the uh, mesh tea bag. Uh, there were a few other things like they were telling us like that we're very proud of here. That is really cool. Uh, I did not need to go on an excursion like this myself. Um, one, we figured Andy really would not have enjoyed it. But two, I uh, was a professional photographer for several years doing and outdoors and landscapes. Now I hate photography. I don't hate it. I absolutely don't hate it. It's just I don't, I don't, I'm not, uh, I don't live that life anymore. I have a different career. So the next, so, yeah. So, so for me, it just didn't necessarily make sense, but. But I knew, we knew that I knew that Ron was really, really into this. So we went ahead and had Ron do that excursion. And then I took Andy out to do to go downtown, essentially. Um, the museums we wanted to do didn't quite work out just because, unfortunately, you know, the main New Brunswick Museum um, was not open. It, it was temporarily in the process of relocating. So it wasn't open. And then uh, one of the other museums I wanted to go to, um, which was like the they have a, a local fire uh uh, fire truck fire station museum that was also closed um but aside from that we really kind of did get out and about we did walk our we trekked our way up to king's um the king's there's market store and king square which are about king's three square. or four blocks apart yes we we trekked our way up it's to on the king's main square king, yeah Halifax. yeah the, one of the interesting things about St. John is that they have the highest, the steepest uh, hill for a main street, essentially, right? It's the steepest main street in the world. Um, but you know what? It wasn't that bad. Like, yeah, it was steep. At least in Canada. Yeah, in Canada. Sorry. Um, it, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. So we trekked our way up to the top and we went to um, King Square. We hung out there. Uh, we saw the pigeons and all the different animals and flowers and things there. There's also a cemetery that's next door. The so yeah, so the, the what's the name of the cemetery again? It, well, it's the Loyalist the cemetery, Loyalist cemetery. Where, where all the people who basically after the revolution yeah. wanted to still be British came there. So there was a Loyalist church, a Loyalist yes, cemetery. Yes. We also went to Trinity Church and checked that out. That was really cool. It's a, one of the historic churches there. And there's a whole bunch of markets like in those areas yes. with like local goods, like all the kitschy t-shirts, but yeah. there was also like New England and Canada, Canadian Coast art. We got a nice map piece because it had yeah. Passamaquoddy on it. We found a really cool map, a map of Maine and uh, New Brunswick, Canada. I was so excited for this map. <laughs> I can't wait to find the perfect um, place to put it on. Um, but what I, I want. I can't wait map? to see it. I need to see it. Oh, uh, you're, you're gonna love <laughs> it. Was it was only twenty bucks for this giant map. Yeah, map. well, it was a print. But but yeah, what so. was nice about this map, obviously, was that it, it basically included all the places we went to on this trip. So I was like, oh my gosh, like like this the culmination um, moment. But but they're doing this. I still had a couple. I went to the reversing rapids, which is a thing you have to do in St. John. Um, it's where the yeah. St. John River meets uh, the Bay of Fundy. Uh, the St. John River is 400 and something miles long. It goes through Maine, but you could only enter or leave the river to go into the ocean through the bay at the middle of the high low tide period because the waters, the river will flow backwards during high tide. Uh, and so I wanted, there were, you know, there were seals diving there and all these really cool rapids going around all these islands going in different directions because of the way the water flows. 
And then there's a paper mill right in the middle here, but you don't smell it. There's no smoke. It's just oddly this beautiful mix of the industry and nature right next to each other. So that was right before I got back into town, met them, and then we walked around. Got oh, yeah, yeah. Ron Ron got back into town and found us very easily. Because um, <laughs> it's really, it is a very walkable city. Um, you can very easily get off the uh, get off the ship and just walk around and downtown. And we air tag Andy whenever we're out of town. So yeah, that's true. So, track that. Yeah, Ron tracked uh, on the air tag. <laughs> just walked around, went to a couple like record little local stores, Got some really great cupcakes. Yes, Andy picked out a uh, a vanilla cupcake with blue icing. Big surprise. Um, but yes, this was a, a very beautiful city. And then the last thing we did right next to where you bore the boat is it's called like Area 506. It's a, it's a little village made out of shipping containers that they've converted to restaurants and shops, mm-hmm. selling like local goods. They hold concerts there, like yeah, and it's connected to big the bands, like like mm-hmm. little mini festivals of like some pretty big Canadian rock artists that like I've gone to see on tour a few yeah. times. So a couple of things that you know, if we had planned a little bit differently, or if we had planned, like if they were doing an overnight two days Which in, in St. John after us is doing, even though they were supposed to go to Bermuda, but they get yeah. diverted by weather. But if we were doing that, we probably because there there is a. Uh, a car rental oh, right there oh, at the port. Yeah, and I did not know. I looked it up and it didn't show it to me. Maybe because the hours I was putting in, the place was closed. But we could have done a car rental and, and driven out to all of the outskirts areas to see all of these things that Ron had done on his excursion. Not all, or even summer. further, like all the way to St. Martin. It's right, only about an right, hour away. Exactly, which would probably have been what we would have done if we had planned a little bit differently. But... um we still had such an enjoyable day, and it was a very warm day, by the way, which so was unusual for the end. This latter end of our trip, back on the ship around what four o'clock? Maybe, maybe it was earlier than that. I think around three ish, because Andy was falling asleep, and then uh, Andy took went a to quick yeah. Andy took a quick nap, and then uh, we went to the pool for the rest of the evening, and we didn't even go to our dinner. And the pool was packed that night. Yeah, because it was hot, <laughs> and we were in port till nine. Yes, that was another cool thing. So. What's interesting about this port is you you basically come in at high tide and then the the tide goes out and then the ship is almost almost, almost floating on the seafloor because the tide is so high basically um, and then and the the ships have to wait until the tide comes back in before they can exit. right the serenade of the seas happened to be in when's a smaller ship and went out maybe an hour before yeah yep. before us and then uh, one of the Norwegian ships was with us as well and they went out just after us these ports were all very busy with cruise ships yeah uh, but but even though they were very busy it didn't feel like St John felt a little overwhelmed with it uh, I would say honestly not to me. I didn't think it was that bad, but, but again, you know, to each their own, I didn't feel like it was overly crowded just because of the three ships being there. Mm-hmm. Um, but those were our ports. Let's talk about the key differences between Disney and Royal. Let's start with the kids club. Cause we had a lot of experience with that. As we said, this is going to be a little different than I think a lot of the kids club experience of Royal might be. Yeah, you got to keep in mind that our cruise, one, there was only 70 to 80 kids on the cruise, as opposed to like 500 that would probably be closer to an average like summer cruise. Um, and then on top of that, um, the the difference also is that 
you know, different ships may have differences with the age groups and in terms of the ages of what group kids are going to fall under just because of the design of that ship or this or that. So there's a few things that sort of vary across the fleet just because of Royal being so large, there are some variances. And they're changing things. There's Adventure Ocean 1.0, which is what we kind of experienced. And now 2.0 is being rolled out on newer ships and ships as they're amplified, which basically just means a bigger area. They'll still keep the kids into kind of age groups, but they can move around the area right. a little differently. But one of the things that generally remains the same, and this is very common feedback for what people say is the general difference between Disney and Royal on the kids' clubs, is that on Royal, there is a heavy focus on really encouraging the kids to participate in these structured activities. And part of that participation begins with group introductions. The kids all become introduced to each other very early on. And I don't mean like on just on their orientation day. I mean, like throughout the first few days or the first couple of days of your trip, the, there's also a heavy emphasis on developing, um, you know, a, a comfortable relationship between the counselors and the kids so that there's a level of trust that they build pretty quickly. They are, you know, they're, 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 they're more than just babysitters essentially. So, Uh, you know, that's the general experiences that most people will say about Royal with Disney. First of all, you know, there's a first difference is the theming of the spaces. Clearly there's. The kids clubs are bigger. They're huge. We're not going to say there's any comparison in that. Yeah. They're very different spaces to be honest. It's almost like comparing apples to oranges, frankly. um, Even the smaller ship on the wonder, I would say the kids club total space, maybe twice to three times the size. Right. Now they, they put a heavy focus on free play. The reason for this is because they already create, these spaces that are that basically allow the kids to do free play much easier. On Royal, you walk in and it's like a classroom. You know, they're, they're very unassuming. Particularly you know, with the little kids. Yeah, the, the spaces are very unassuming, and there's just they're, they're, like you walk in, you're just like, I, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do within these spaces. Hence, why they create these these very uh, scheduled, you know, regimented schedules with the kids throughout the day. Now. You know, with Disney, they don't have to do that because the spaces are all very designed already with and, different toys, different activities. To and do. they have the activities and they will announce, hey, kids, we're doing this. But they don't try and wrangle them. Right. And, and Here particularly, they do wrangle them, particularly the little kids. Yeah. And I mean, part of our, well, our perception a, is going to change because it's been a year since Andy's last. That's true. She's and, grown up a lot in that year. Yes, she was three and a half when she did her last Disney cruise. And that was her first time doing the kids club. So there was a, you know, she was still very shy. She was still, you know, very new to using the Pawnee. Um, and, and as a, you know, as a shy child, she really had a little bit of a challenge kind of introducing herself to other kids. So like with the counselors, if they weren't doing it for her, essentially, she just really kind of was off on her own, doing her own thing, running around. And the bigger kids were kind of overwhelming the club. At right. That so, like, there were a lot more big kids in the club. Well, she was in a club be- between 3 and 10, essentially. So, you know, for most of the day at, at Disney, whereas, like, you know, they do intersplice. The, they, they bring, they bring the, both of the different groups in together at different times of the day at Disney. There's a couple other differences, too. At Disney, 
You can follow communications with the Disney counselors on the app. Uh, that is not accessible in the current form of the app, you know, on, on Royal. They do have their own version of like a wave kind of phone you can request. They don't have ones, they don't have enough for everybody. So really, you know, if your kid doesn't really, if you don't need to have the phone for your kid, you, you know, not necessarily. We expect it every it. like hour, hour and a half. Yeah, I mean. Because three hours, I don't think she was going to need us because that's the longest time they're open without right, some sort of because of the breaks. break or we have to say oh yes she's staying here after 10 we're going to pay for her to stay we never use that because that's way past her bedtime yeah so a couple of other things that are different too like ron mentioned is the breaks so for royal they do have required breaks now the breaks may vary depending on the ship um but for us the breaks were a midday break which was 12 to 2 and then a evening break for dinner which was five to seven essentially it was to you know block out time for meals hence and they don't feed your children on royal it's your responsibility i did ask if there was any difference on the port days and i think they you can pay for those windows if you want to go off the boat and leave your kids on the boat on the ship you can pay for those oh. windows and they could and they would feed them during that time period i did ask about that oh, okay, good, good. but i said no we were going to take her out anyway um, and they also hold, so Disney has this, the big spaces and then they can close off one section and move all the kids to the other section to protect them and let families come in and take over half of the space. And they would do that at Royal during those breaks. There was the every night at dinner time ish there, we only could do one cause we had a specialty reservation. Uh, they had like a science thing or an arts and crafts thing. And they did a lot of arts and crafts already. Oh my God. We got so, many. so <laughs> much art. We got like three or four pieces of art a day. Minimum. <laughs> and some of them were huge. It would like, they traced her whole body on like day two. Yeah. And like, and they hand put handprints and sparkles. And we hung that up in the room using like magnets. Yeah. We had like a giant human sized piece of artwork on our wall, the entire trip. Um, so uh, uh, again, you know, it is kind of like comparing apples to oranges. You know, one of the other interesting things here is that when the kids come into the kids club of Royal, if you have, you know, every child is different. Our daughter tends to get a little overstimulated easily. And in some ways she did much better in the Royal space because it is not literally plastered with, you know, all of the Disney accoutrements um, and, which are beautiful and wonderful, but for her, she got, you know, pretty overstimulated pretty quickly here. It's like the walls are very simple colors. You know, the cabinets are just colored cabinets, you know, with different shapes and different things. It was very simple in terms of design. So she could very easily focus on, you know, her, her friendships that she was developing with the other kids learning everyone's names. She knew everyone's names by the end of the trip. She knew all of her counselors names. By the end of the trip, she she really, you know, it was harder for her to focus on those things on our last club experience because she just didn't have all of that aid. She didn't have a counselor introducing her every time. She didn't have, you know, the same kids every single time she was going into the club. But, yeah, I mean, she I think she had a better time here than on Disney. But once again, we can't say if that's the age or how few kids. Yes. Close. The counselors were 
three or four counselors to like at most eight kids in there. Yeah. Yeah. So they were, they were heavily interactive together for sure. One of the uh, fun things too was with Royal, they kind of have scheduled themes going on throughout the entire week for the kids club. Now Disney does this as well. But it's a little bit more loose, um, and it, there's just there isn't as much you know consistent like 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 every day may not have a theme. Like they obviously have a pirate night, and they have uh, some of the depending on the length of your cruise may have like a sleepover or like a sleepover pretend sleepover night, you know, in the evening, different kinds of things like that. Um, but with Royal, especially in her age group with a three to five, or on some of the boat on some of the ships, it would be three to six. Um, every single day had themes and some days had multiple themes. Like in the morning, you know, there would be like, they would, there would be like a breakfast theme and like all of the artwork and the toys and the things they were doing with breakfast or like one, one, um, evening it was pirates and princesses, you know, who's a pirate, who's a princess. And, um, there was another evening where they did camping. They did a camp out <laughs> in the kids club and that particular night, Andy, made us leave. Like we went to go pick her up and she's like, no mom, mom, I'm playing with my friends. I'm very busy. We're making marshmallows, you know? So like I had to leave and come back like a half hour later. Um, so, you know, every, Oh, there was a dinosaur evening as well. Like as she came home with dinosaur prints and all sorts of stuff. And there was like, they were constantly making Play-Doh, which she loves Play-Doh. So of course she was in heaven. Um, but yeah, you know, there's just a, it's a very different experience with Disney. They don't necessarily need to create these themes because every single room already has several different themes and they have several different rooms that offer different things. So if your child wants to have more relaxation in in the moment, they can go to the more relaxing room. There is a room with like a uh, a TV a movie playing and bean bags for kids to relax with books or just watch TV. There is a room for kids to sit down and have a meal where they will offer snacks or they were awful what they or they will offer meals, right? So, you know, it, it's a very different kind of experience. You know, Royal makes up for all of the differences by doing things manually by hand, right? Whereas Disney manufactures it already in the environment. So the counselors don't necessarily have to do all of those things. So it's just, like I said, apples to oranges. All right. Yeah. So the kids club was great. I would not knock it and say, you know, you have to go to Disney for a kids club. I would say the Royal Kids Club. And I would say for sure, if your child is brand new to clubs and are also very shy like ours, like we're still learning to introduce ourselves, even at four and a half and all of that then, you know, it's definitely something to consider. If you're thinking that your child may get overwhelmed in a Disney environment, like, cause it's like being in the Disney bubble, you know, it, it, it so then maybe it's something to think about in terms of what you think is going to work out better for you. Let's talk about the food differences. Yes. Uh, Why don't you mention all the places that are offered on this ship? So this ship has the main dining room, which is broken into three floors. It has... The Windjammer, which is a buffet, uh, it has four specialty restaurants, Chops Grill, uh, Giovanni's Table, Johnny Rockets, which is kind of, you know, it's a specialty restaurant, but, you know, it's not in that, simple, in that kind of way. And Sabor. The only one we didn't try anything at was Sabor. 
um, because we were going to do a lunch. They didn't have lunch available. Uh, They had a margarita and guacamole tasting we couldn't do because we had to have Andy at that point um, because it was during those hours. So we went to Chopped for dinner. Amazing steakhouse. Totally great. Worth the money. Uh, It was expensive, but still cheaper than going to a comparable steakhouse on land by about $100, I'd say, for a couple. So you are getting your value there. Uh, Giovanni's Table, very good Italian, and I'm picky on my Italian. All homemade pasta Mm -hmm. there. Uh, Andy actually ate two bowls of pasta. That was the most she'd eaten in any sitting on the entire trip. So, you know. (laughs) This was on day seven we went to this one, though, so we were kind of fooded out well we could have we were andy probably wasn't (laughs) we could have eaten more but i just got a really nice carbonara and you got i got a seafood uh linguine and then um you know we had some really nice appetizers and such the burrata was the size of my fist i've never seen a burrata yeah yeah and i had perfectly creamy but solid at the same time yeah and i had a cheese and um a charcuterie board board, right and that was huge as well so uh totally would recommend desserts were great there uh and then johnny rockets we really just want you to get the shakes yeah so they serve um, burgers in the Windjammer. Which were so very good They were. Burgers. They were excellent burgers. So if you don't want to pay extra for, you know, the chili cheese fries and burgers at um, Johnny Rockets, then, you know, again, it's, it's up to you. It was only like 15 Although it's very bucks. Reasonable. We just decided not to do it. Yeah, it just didn't really, it just didn't seem necessary compared to all the things we were already doing. But we did go one night <laughs> after some drinking at one of the bars. And we went and got some malted shakes because that was delicious. Um, the free, so the other free restaurants we forgot to mention are Cafe Promenade, which is the coffee shop. Always had th- four or five sandwich types. You yeah, get. they always and had some four sandwiches. or five desserts mm-hmm. that were almost always the same desserts as they had in the Windjammer that day. But you could just come and get a, a plate of those on the Promenade. The sandwiches were not up in the Windjammer, but there was always. Uh, there was always a vegetarian a crazy sandwich yep, and a yep. caprese gluten-free sandwich. Mm-hmm. And then there was always, um, some kind of wrap. Yeah. yeah. It was and usually some... a turkey or a spinach wrap. Sometimes a turkey spinach wrap. Sometimes it was a turkey jalapeno wrap. Yeah. And it's, and then there was like a salad based one. So like a tuna salad or a chicken salad. Um, those and, were always available yeah. pretty much from like morning to about midnight, I'd say. Uh, I actually had um, lunches. I had two or three days where that was my lunch. And the coffee shop serves Starbucks coffee. They don't have the full menu, but I had a lot of vanilla lattes, cafe mochas, white mochas, caramel macchiatos, all those kind of things. No pumpkin spice, unfortunately, or probably would have had a lot more. Uh, well, fortunately, I should say. That, um, we should also mention that we got the the extra coffee yeah, card. We'll talk about. Well, I'll talk about the pricing in a second on that stuff. And then there was Sorrento's Pizza, which is pretty good fast food pizza. It's not amazing, like you know, New York, like you're going to get uh, in Brooklyn or something like that, uh, to like a specialty place. But it was decent pizza. They always had a cheese, always had a pepperoni. And then they only had a couple specialties that they rotated. Disney, I think you get a little more variety, but I think the pizza is slightly better than the on-deck pizza at Disney. Yeah, I definitely think it was a little um, bit better than the on-deck The main pizza. dining room food is close, but I give Disney a little bit of an edge. It, it, I would say there was like a point difference. Like if you were to give Disney's quality in their dining rooms a 10, uh, I would give Royals a 9. 
um, only just because of the fact there's a couple of things. So like with Disney, what they, and again, it's, it's so, it's like comparing apples to oranges because they're so different. But for Disney, you have rotational dining where you have three uh, dining rooms that you rotate night to night to night. Um, depending on however many days on your trip, you may have two nights or, you know, three, you know, however many nights in each restaurant. And each night is different with a different menu, et cetera, and sometimes different entertainment. Now, um, and again, entertainment is key. Like part of what you're, a lot of what you're paying for here for Disney is the theming and the entertainment and having that entire experience, right? There's like a, there's an ambiance package here, right? You're paying the Disney premium for the Disney-ness of it. Right, right. Now for Royal it's one main dining room and then there are three dining experiences sorry two dining experiences you can have um dining where you have your reserved dining at five or seven or you can have what is called my time dining which is when you basically go in and dine at any time you can make reservations for the my time dining or you could just show up i would strongly recommend if you're going to do my time dining is to make those reservations mm-hmm. because the line does was get long. long yeah and if you do a dining package if you pay a package of like uh of the specialty restaurants you're going to automatically get my time dining because they know you're not going to be at the main dining room right. very often um and they rotate the menus every night, so you're not getting the same thing. That's true. There are things that are going to be on the menu several times. Like every night had a steak. Most of it was just, I'd say like six of them were a New York strip with a baked potato and some vegetables. And the strip was fine. And I think like one night was prime was a prime rib, which I think I, I ended up getting yeah. prime rib. That was delicious. Um, um, and they're different themes. So there's welcome aboard night. There's formal night, which is the lobster night, really. Um, there's like a Mexican night. There's a, a, a or like a Cuban Latin kind of theme night. Caribbean, a night, Caribbean a, night, Mediterranean Italian, night, Italian. French. Yep, yep. So there's definitely and then and then there's a schedule to it. And but the thing is, is that this particular these schedules of this uh, these uh, menus are across the fleet. You know, it's not just your cruise. and it's set. So every seven night cruise has the same seven menus. Every four night cruise has the same four. We got two menus that most people don't get because it's a nine night. We skipped two nights. We skipped Italian night and went to the Windjammer. Yep. yep. We skipped Caribbean night. No, we skipped Mexican night to go to the shop. Yes. We were going between Caribbean and we, um, and I was saying, yeah, like I was saying, chop was well worth the money. I got an amazingly good bone in, uh, Ribeye steak, and you got a I got a, a piece. Yeah, it was delicious. So we could have brought Andy actually for no charge, just because of her age. Under six were free at the specialty yes. restaurants. But we'd asked her, you know, do you want to come to dinner with us, or do you want to just go get pizza and go to the club? And of w- course, wouldn't you know? Yes, she said, I just want pizza and I want to go to the club. And and we figured, you know, she had already been going to the club for a few days by this point. So we we felt very comfortable with her going for that long, length, length of time. And in like nine nights, she must have done, you know, 11 tables or 12 table service meals. Yeah. Breakfast and lunches. And so we knew she needed some breaks between all those. Yeah. Uh, and that was it. Like things I met, the oh, room service. We only order room service Hey, yeah. For for after hour, we we did the continental breakfast a few mornings in the beginning. 
uh, we kind of got annoyed that they would call and say the food's coming up. Yeah, so there's definitely a difference in your experience with the morning room service. Now, first of all, I totally understand why Royal does this. I actually, it makes complete sense to me. It is a little bit different than Disney. Um, and I'm and not sure you got the normal Disney experience where they would just come in. I think you told uh, them you could do that. Uh, yeah, it depends on your situation. Um, but they would call before they would knock and they would say, we're going to be coming to drop off your food very shortly. So if I, and I always wanted it early. So it was like 6.30 or 7. And I sleep, I'm a night owl. Laurel's a morning person. Right. So unfortunately it was disruptive for Ron. The phone um, was also on my side <laughs> of the bed. Um, which I felt terrible for. Certainly wasn't thinking about it. Usually they just knock. Um, now there was one night, one morning where they were knocking and apparently I, I missed the knocking and they called again. <laughs> so I felt terrible. Um, but I'd gotten to the point where. Oh, and the wake up calls from the spa. So I got two of these before. Seven yeah. They, the so if you have a morning appointment at the spa, they give you a wake up call as well, which I, I didn't know that that was going to happen because I already had my phone and everything like set up to remind me. So I wasn't going to miss it, but they do all this complimentary. Um, but so I did do morning coffee multiple days in the beginning of the trip, but because we had all of those stacked days in the middle of the trip with our excursion days or our our port days, excuse me, um, I had gotten used to not ordering breakfast those mornings because we were already going to be up early getting breakfast and all of that or doing, you know, or for me and Andy going to the, um, going to do the whirlpool in the morning. It just didn't make sense for me anymore. And then by the time we got to the end of the trip where we had the two back-to-back sea days, uh, I basically, or I guess it was one sea day, I'd basically gotten used to not having it. So I just never ordered it again. Um, But, uh, you know, it worked out very nicely when I did have it. And then we did one night, we ordered the paid room service, which is just like a $9 set fee, which was not a big deal. But, you know, if you're going to order one item, it doesn't make sense. So I just really felt like some chicken wings, and the only place to get the chicken wings right. was on that menu. So we ordered the chicken wings. We also got a pizza, a cheeseburger, and a cheeseburger, pizza. yeah, and a uh, piece of cheesecake. I felt I needed to be a little healthy, so I got a salad on top of that. I ordered a cheesesteak, but they brought me a cheesecake, which uh, actually worked out fine because we certainly we didn't need any more sandwiches. But it was all good. It was all fine, and I think not, nine bucks for that is a fair delivery. A- fee. Andy ate like half the pizza. Yeah, like she was clearly hungry. Um, I could have gone down to get the pizza. Sorrentos, it's the same exact pizza, but the nine dollar delivery fee is definitely a good convenience charge, especially when it was a night we were coming in after a port. We were tired. I just wanted to go to bed a little early. Yeah, it was nice. Um, That's it. I, I missed the fast food on Disney. I will say being able to go just run up to the deck and get chicken. Fingers. Yeah. And, and having access to soda the same way. So like on Disney, you know, they have their soda fountains and here there's no soda fountains. There's no like public a, soda fountains. A lot of ships have the, the Coke freestyle, the Coke freestyle but now. you still need a soda package to get those. And, and, and I did get a soda package, uh, which I think was worth it for me. And it was very easy. Every bar at one point they knew it was like, just for your Diet Coke. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the other ships have Coke Freestyle right now, uh, but our, this one's an older ship, so we just didn't have it set up at this point. And even some of the older ships have it. Our ship just met, missed its big reefer because of the pandemic. Right. Uh, other packages, we got a coffee card, which was 15 coffees for 30 bucks. 
And most of the copies were about four, about four to five dollars, which is a little cheaper than an online Starbucks. So you were getting a little bit of a discount on that. But right. uh, it was great. And, you know, got all my copies and would grab a snack at Cafe Promenade all the time. Uh other packages that were available were a water package, which we ended up doing. Um, we ordered a case of water. We ordered a case of water. Bucks. It was totally worth it to us because, honestly, we had so many port days. We wanted to make sure we were able to you know, have water immediately. And we could each keep a bottle by the nightstand at night. Right, right. And then um, we, we ended up drinking almost all of it. So the drink package, we decided not to get an alcohol package. And I was keeping a track of tabs. And I ended up, on average... For the first half of the cruise, probably having one or two per night. Uh, at the second half, they came out with a deal, which they do on a lot of cruises. Uh, you could buy 10 drinks for 100 bucks prepaid. Right. So keep in mind, most of these drinks are up to $14. So that's right. a pretty good deal. So I was having a lot of beers before that because they were eight or nine bucks. And I would have a cock- one or two cocktails. But like when I was just trying to drink and yeah. get a little bit of a buzz at the end of the night, I was just going to beer. So at the end, I bought this... Uh, deal and then i just started trying all the 14 dollar cocktails right right uh because i'm not much of a cocktail person i'm more of a straight whiskey straight rum or beer and let's be fair ron never drinks at home (laughs) so like this was like the most drinking i've seen you do in years yeah i mean i i just i definitely cut back in my old age (laughs) um but so it was nice to try all the different cocktails because they there are many every Every bar has their own cocktails on top of the standard cocktails. So there was, yeah, there were three or four bars we that have this the specialty ones, and those were the ones we went to. Uh, the schooner bar, which is on every ship, has a set menu across all the ships. I really liked their toasted marshmallow old fashioned, which is uh, basically with a, an old fashioned with a little bit of to- uh, marshmallow syrup garnished with three actual toast, three or four actual toasted marshmallows used to stir it. And it's just like a to- it's just a slightly sweet version of a you know one of the smoked old fashions that you can get at a lot of trendy bars. Uh, they also have a few other drinks. There was like a tropical peanut butter drink I almost tried. <laughs> Didn't sound that appealing to me. Um, then Boleros had a whole bunch of different mojitos and there was different rum based drinks, and they were all really good. I had the one I think my favorite was. The coconut mojito was fantastic. If I had found that earlier, I probably would have had a few more of those. Um, had a few margaritas, things like that. But the whiskey selection, which is one of my go-to drinks, they didn't – wasn't that great. There was mostly like Johnny Walker Black or Glen Fittich or Glen, uh, Glen Marangi, uh, which I consider kind of the entry-level scotches. I'm fine with them, but they don't want – they're not what I go to. I'm a Macallan or open person, and they didn't have either of those, which I think are fairly standard scotches. So that was a little bit with the drinking, uh, my issue with the bars. I, I, I actually only got uh, martinis. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I honestly almost exclusively just drink vodka martinis already in my regular life. And I, I, I just... I was already eating so much. I just didn't feel like it was smart for me to start combining and trying out a million new different kinds of drinks. <laughs> so I basically just got martinis when I when I got a cocktail, which was only a few times. One of the drinks no that fun I Laurel. That's what we should call you. No fun Laurel. I know. I just this is an unusual 
circumstance where Ron actually drank infinitely more than I did on this cruise. Uh, usually I'm the drinker. Um, there but- was one drink that came recommended to me that's a pool bar drink that I will recommend as well as the lava flow. It is a rum-based strawberry like that one looks like rum pina colada and like strawberry all mixed together it was really really good yeah yeah every time ron would come back over with a pool deck drink i was like oh my gosh like (laughs) yeah i like the pool drinks uh drinks um average were probably comparable to disney except for the drink of the day on disney's like what six bucks yeah and they were 10 bucks here yeah and the prices for uh, per drink on Royal also are like a couple of dollars average more than they are I would say, yeah. uh, on Disney. But it's been a year since we've been on Disney. It's possible some of their prices have gone up, too. So keep that in mind. And, you know, Disney doesn't have much specialty restaurants. There's nothing as expensive as Enchante or Remy. Um, and most of them are fairly comparable with it to right. uh and then we should probably talk a little bit just about the differences in the uh, Windjammer versus like Cabanas or, you know, Marceline Marketplace. Yeah, I think Windjammer wins. Yeah, Windjammer definitely better for a couple of things. Uh, variety of food, I mean, definitely up there. Um, and then the quality and then um, for for sure was a little bit better than and what hours. you get. hours. Oh, my yes, God. Yes, the hours because they're pretty much open from like, I mean, morning time to like. I mean, what is like, short like breaks 9 p.m. or meals, something? 10 p.m. Which, but like Disney is open like 9 to 3 with a like hour or so break in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They they have short breaks in the during the day that are closed at the Windjammer as opposed to like these two or three hour long breaks um, just to like turn the service. But there was always an Asian, like Southeast Asian, like or Chinese, yep, Japanese, yep. something like that, Thai. And then there was always a few Indian dishes. And then lots of them, there was always a salad bar. Yeah. Uh, and lots of like, there was always mashed potatoes and gravy, but like, there was also, like, and they would rotate, like I had really good schnitzel. I had, uh, I didn't even go to the carving board. The burgers there. I never ended up going to the carving board either. The, the burgers there were really juicy yeah. and like, like what you would pay 12, 15 bucks for. Yeah. Like a, and then they oh. always had a section that was kind of like the same sort similar kind of menu that you would get in the main dining hall. Yes. So like if the if the night was Italian, then you had the Italian. And that was section. a dinner, right? They would have something else for lunch. Right, right. They for had lunch. Brazole for lunch one day. Yeah. And- so one day at lunch we went and they were doing um like stir fry, like but but it was like your make your own stir fry. Or or make your own pasta or yeah, make yeah. Your own omelets during breakfast. Which often had pretty long lines, so I didn't really do that. I did the make your own stir fry. But the nice thing about they actually have these um like pagers. like pagers. So you would go put in your stir fry order and then you could go and finish doing what you're doing with your plate or whatever, and then you would be, you know, pinged when your food was ready. And you I, get it. I actually thought the free drinks were gonna be a little harder to get, but the lemonade Fruit oh, punch yeah, the, and iced the, tea were everywhere. Yeah, the complimentary drinks um, were everywhere. I, I also agree with you, Ron. I, I was a little concerned about how accessible, but it's it's. I never had a problem with getting the drinks that were on the standard. Which, no, and know. I would actually think like that would make me reconsider the soda package in the future. But I still do like. Yeah, you're a big soda drinker. So as opposed to having like four cups of coffee a day, I'll have a few diet cokes instead. Yeah, see, I'm more of a coffee person and iced tea. Like I pretty much drank iced tea like during most of my meals. Um, Yeah, I think those are kind of our key different. Like we said, we already talked about the entertainment. Different 
but top notch. You're not going to get the characters or the Disneyness to it, but the quality is still the same level. The service, same, same okay. level. I cannot knock a single yeah. interaction with. I would rate more than a hundred percent guest satisfaction focus. Oh yeah, the internet blew Disney's internet away on the boat. Um, well, that also could be because there might have been fewer people. Well, no, we also have Star. It's Starlink. On. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and I know Disney's now moving to a pay per day package. I haven't had that yet. I've only p- paid like the fee, but like. I did speed tests. I was getting over 100 megabits per second. Like, I had no problem streaming, like, when I was going to bed trying to watch something. Mm-hmm. Um, I edited, you know, I have another YouTube channel unrelated to this. I was able to edit and upload my videos, no problem, um, which I did, like, one afternoon on a C day. I will say the one problem I did have is if you have anything that, like, requires a second confirmation, like, send anything to your phone to confirm, that was a bit of an issue because I even I had one device and I it wouldn't work with the switching devices. Both had to be on at the same time. That would be my only complaint. But you could also buy a multiple device package to deal with that for a discount. Or I just waited until I was important and use my phone that way. Yeah. Um, but no problem with the internet. The Wi-Fi was steady for using the app everywhere on the ship, which was different from Disney. Uh, that's it. I think that it's it in a nutshell. Oh, disembarkation. We didn't talk about. Oh yeah. Which a million times is so easy. Last time we had a nightmare getting off of Disney because customs rebooted their systems. We said that earlier this time, since they had our pictures and our passports in the system, we just walked up to a little kiosk, smiled at the camera and walked through, not even having to talk to anybody in customs. And like I said earlier, we had staff there that recognized us from the day that we departed which I was shocked. I was like, it's been like 10 days, people. How can you remember us? But um, they did. <laughs> Rachel, do you have any other questions or comments about it? No, you guys were very thorough. <laughs> you <laughs> went through your trip uh, and your experience on the dis- or on, on your Royal Caribbean cruise. I guess for me, um, the, the one thing I guess I would kind of say that we probably need to go back to in a separate on a separate podcast discussion is we should probably do like a breakdown to talk a bit, a bit about the different boats and the different class boats in Royal Caribbean. That, yeah. That's a show in sure. itself. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that, that, that also gives a certain amount of more flexibility and options for people. Whereas on Disney cruise, I feel like there's, you're often a bit more limited on not just the size of your ships, but where those ships are going. Yes. The locations. Yeah. Royal Caribbean is like, it's just so much more vast and varied. Um, There really is a lot of great positives for Royal Caribbean. And, you know, since I only had the experience of going on Disney cruise, uh, I I look forward to eventually going on a Royal Caribbean cruise. Um, I I think that what you've basically told us in a nutshell is both are great, high quality cruise lines. And focused, high quality cruise lines. I'm not going to knock Norwegian or Carnival for what they do, but they have a very different focus, both of them. A little more mature. And And, and here's the thing, like, well, everyone will say, and this is not like, again, Royal is not Disney and Disney is not Royal. Like, they are two separate organizations running a separate show here. Disney is always going to naturally cater towards young children and lots of kids. 
that is, that's their brand. So when you are there, you are, are you going to feel like that catering experience to those kids' needs is happening all the time? That's just the brand. With Royal, you do kind of have to speak up, you know, and say, you know, if this is what your needs are for this child or for your experience with this child, et cetera. You know, again, you know, because they they, they don't necessarily get the same, the sheer volume of kids that Disney does plus. Particularly on this boat, the Oasis class is going to be a little Yeah, the, yes, exactly. And then when you get to the Oasis class, the price difference is going to be less. They're going to be a lot more comparable yes, to those Disney that's prices. True. That's true. And that's the thing we'll talk about when we talk about the fleet is, yes, Royal is cheaper than Disney, but the cheaper the cheapness is really dependent on what you're doing. Like, yeah, where you're going. The yeah. Icon, when it comes out, those prices are going to be comparable to the Treasure. Not, the Treasure's going to be a little bit more, I'm sure, just because Disney has that. But like... An older ship going to Alaska is going to be a big difference than go than the yeah. Wonder going to Alaska. And so, and one of the, like like Rachel just said, you know, with Royal, like where you go is almost more important. As, as it's almost a bigger part of your decision making than than what you would on Disney. You know, most people choose a Disney cruise because they really want to have those sea days. They want to have the Disney, Disney bubble, yeah. right? The Disney bubble at Cabana. Uh, bay and and have, have all of that experience right like there most people are not going on disney cruises saying i want to hop on and hop off every day at a port you know it's just a it, it's just a different kind of thing you're paying for that for that bubble right for royal a lot of what you're looking forward to is the different places you can go how can you package all of your experiences together you know, et cetera. And, and you're never going to be bored on a Royal cruise. That's for sure. There's yeah. always stuff going on. There's a lot more variety. Disney is, you're getting Disney all the time. Much like, I think it's a little less Disney than you get in the parks, but it's still Disney focused. Royal is trying to grab everybody and give something for everybody. So that's yeah. a bit of the difference. Uh, but I think we're going to call it a night here. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of Mousebirds. Uh, and on behalf of my co-hosts, Rachel and Laurel, thank you guys and have a good night. Have a good night. See you real soon. Bye.